Bokertov. Today's daf is Yadalit 14. We pick up with the bottom of Yadimal Amadzak, and um, we're in the middle of a lot of discussions of Invalid Schach. We're now dealing with um, uh, the issue of Makabal um, things that are susceptible for becoming Tamei, and specifically with the issue uh, that includes uh, uh, fruit um, that grows from the tree. Um, and because um, it's edible, it's food. And the question is, what about the status of the yad, the uh, twigs that are attached to it, the stems? Are those considered part of the fruit or not? In order for um, for to count them into the quantity of non-kosher schach, if you have fruit hanging from a branch. So this was debated, um, and the issue here was was that on the one end, if you cut it for schach, you're not interested in the fruit being connected. So it's not considered a yad, it's not considered a appendage to the fruit. Um, normally that halach of tumah is only when you want it connected to the fruit. On the other hand, um, the argument could be made that even when you want it for schach, it, um, uh, you want the fruit on it to weigh down the schach, to keep the schach in place. So that was a debate of Amorayim in terms of the status of those twigs, of the, when, of the stems, when you're cutting the branch down for schach. We quoted a bright uh, <coughs> that specifically dealt with that, palms of uh, big, big uh, uh, fronds of palm trees with dates attached to it and so on and seem to have exactly this debate when you have to determine how much schach do you count the stems or not so the Gemara said is there a way to get out of this if you want to claim that everybody says actually um, that it is um, generally uh, generally not counted here we see an opinion that it is counted so the Gemara says let's suggest on that so Menasha Bargada, it starts with it's about eight lines from the line, bottom. It starts with the word Bargada. Mile Matanaihi. So according to the approach that you would never count the stem of uh, fruit when you cut it for the sake of schach, and you would never count it as part of the fruit. So let's say here it's a debate of Tanaim because you see at least that Rabbi Meir does count it as part of the fruit in the bright that we quoted. So the Gemara says no. Everybody would really agree with me that if you were cut down that palm frond or other types of branches for the purpose of schach, the yad, the, tw- the, the stem, is not part of the fruit. Um, and it's not a problem of pasal schach because you're not interested in the fruit. So he pleads, so the hach of Mayasin, and thank you so much. What are we talking about here? Okay, thank you. What are we talking about here that Rebbe Mayer says it is part of the fruit? He goes, When it was cut down initially for the purpose of schach, everybody would agree that the stem is not part of the fruit. You're not interested in the fruit. The case was you cut it down initially, the branch, because you wanted to eat the fruit. And when you want to eat the fruit, that's when we say the classic principle of yad, that the stem is part of it. Okay, and so that would start with the idea. So that's what makes the difference. It was cut specifically for the purpose of fruit, and the stem was part part of it. Then you change your mind, and you said, heck, let's use this for schach. And then the question is, does the status of the yad switch now that you are that you are giving this thing a different function, it's a kavanah. It's a kavanah, and if the kavanah, we all agree what the kavanah is, uh-huh. is the kavanah effective or not, or effectual? So says, So one minute, if you cut it down initially for fruit, fruit, what's the reason that the rabbis would say that now the twig is no longer considered part of the fruit? If that was your initial intent. That maybe this is exactly the issue. Now that you changed your mind after it's been cut down, this branch, and you want to use it for schach, 
your initial intention is negated and now it's identified differently and therefore the stem has, is no longer part of the fruit can you really negate your initial intent with a new intent this is a general principle about um, intent when it comes to defining something as a vessel or here as a stem as part of a fruit for purposes of Mechabel Tumah top of your daily day All kelim literally descend into tuma uh, with thought. Now it doesn't literally well descend is an interesting phrase, but anyway it doesn't mean that they become tamei. What it means is there are a range of things in the world that naturally are considered um, fit for becoming tamei. Food that is not fruit that's not attached to the tree that has had water come in contact with it, or um, let's say you have a completely finished vessel, like you have a you know you've got a spoon, a fork, or something like that. You know that automatically becomes tamay. That's a that's a vessel. But there's a range of things where there's an ambiguous status of them. Are they finished yet or not? Which category do they fall in or not? And that status is determined based on your intent. So what would be those things? Well, the classic example is you're in the process of making a vessel, but it's not clear yet are you done making it or not. You've just fashioned out this beautiful spoon from this piece of metal. Are you done or not? Well, maybe you're going to make some filigree on the top and, you know, finish some carvings. At what stage is it complete? Okay, that is a question. Or you are, you, you know, you have, uh, Rashi gives the example of you have hand and prepared this nice big thing of leather. Now, as it is right now, you can use it as a mat. But is that what its use is? Is it going to be a mat? Or are you going to make strips out of it and use and cut a shoe out of it? Right? At what stage is it considered a complete vessel is not self-evident. It's not objectively determinable in most cases. It's a question about what your intent is. So this is the principle that all the vessels, your deemly day tumah, go down into tumah, mean become susceptible, bimach shava. Once you have the intent and you say, you the maker, the owner of it, says, I'm done now, I'm going to use this piece of leather as a mat, now it's defined as a vessel, as a mat, even though you, if you were planning on making shoes, it would not yet be a vessel. But they become, they get their identity and become susceptible for tumah just with your thought. The ain olim mitumatan, ela bishinoi ma'aseh. But they cannot change their status except with an action. So, if I went ahead and um, took this piece of leather and I decided I was going to make it a mat, and I said, you know what, I think I'm actually going to make shoes out of it. It doesn't now stop becoming able to be tamay. Right? It, 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 once its identity takes place, even though that was only through thought, not through action, right, you cannot keep on switching it on and off and changing your mind on and off. Once its identity is, now it's a vessel, it can't change that identity <laughs> until you actually do an action to it. Now, if you start cutting it and making it, in, you know, cutting it for, for, for shoes and, and, and cutting out a new shape, and start, then, okay, it's no longer a mat. Now it's in the process of being made for shoes, and it no longer can become tame. So your thought can give it its initial identity, but it cannot change it once it gets that identity. And to change it then would require an action. So if I have a pelt yes. and I intend to make it into a mat, mm-hmm. and it's not a mat yet because it hasn't been finished, right? but that's already in the status of something that will be macabre tumor? No. If you intend to make it into a mat, and it's not yet complete as a mat, then it's not macabre tumor. Right. Only when it's complete. Only when it's complete. But once your thought has identified it as complete, and given its identity as a vessel, 
right? So then, it's not like it starts life becoming, you know, becoming a vessel. It gets its identity through your thought, but once it's identified as a vessel, it won't lose that identity until you actually do an action to it. Okay? So, Maase motzi midei maase. An action can negate an action. If I cut it into the perfect shape of a mat, I made it and I, I and I was done. I made it into a mat with an action. But if I do another counter action, I start cutting that into into a shape for a shoe. Then that redefines it. So an action is strong enough to change a prior action. Umi al and certainly strong enough to change just a thought. If I just decided I was going to keep it as a mat, even without associating it with an action, right? But if you need, an, an action can reverse whatever identity it has, whether it got that initial identity through thought or through an action. A new action redefines something. Machshavah, but a thought, a new thought to change its identity, is not strong enough, certainly not to counter an action, if you had cut it as the shape of a mat, and now you just think, hey, I'll make it a shoe, you know, obviously thought loses against the prior action, but not only that, it even loses against the prior thought. A thought is not so strong. So what a thought can do is it can take something, here's a good way of thinking about it, it can take something in an ambiguous state, with an ambiguous identity, and sort of nail down its identity. Give it, give it identity. But once something has an identity, your thought is not meaningful against that status already, and that clear identity. The only thing that can change it is an intention, okay? So I can go around the room thinking about a million things I'm going to do, right? You know, uh, but it doesn't actually give it, change something the, the way something is until you actually act on it. The only power of the thought is when something has an ambiguous identity. So that is the basic principle. So now we've got our question. That's true about a vessel. We have something else that has an ambiguous identity for Tumah, which is the stem of a fruit. Is it considered a yad to the fruit, part of the fruit, serving the fruit, or separate? So, Tumah assumes, presumably the same halacha would be true. If I cut down the branch and wanted to use the fruit, to eat the fruit, and that made the stem part of it, now, so that was an initial action, played an action and a thought. Okay, my, anyway, my intent was to eat the fruit. That gave the stem its identity as part of the fruit. Now if I decide, heck, I'll use it for schach, why should that have the power to change its identity? Its identity has already been fixed. So you, can't you cannot use the fruit for schach. You want to put the whole branch on yeah. the tree with this fruit. Well, okay. so, so where does the stem get counted? Part of the, the fruit is decoration. The fruit is, yeah, or whatever. Or it's there, the most before to weigh it down. But where does the stem get counted? In the category of the right. or the puzzle? So it says, now that you changed your mind, how could that change the identity of the stem? That's a new thought coming to change something which whose identity was already well, how fixed. How kind of masa ma- 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 would you use? Putting it on the... Exactly. Okay, so maybe exactly. you're... Exactly. Um, so the Gemara seems that that's not a sufficient masa. Well, who can uh, well, I don't know. Right. You could cut it, but... Yeah. Then, then it makes it a moot point. So some things there might not be a good option other than really changing it, okay? But yeah, it is a good point that you say that the putting it on the sukkah is not considered to be a maaseh. We're going to see in a minute other things that are not enough of a changing of the thing. Remember, if the classic example is the piece of leather, then the maaseh physically changes it. just doesn't do something with it or to it. It actually physically changes Let's say I would pick up... Here, you want a similar example? Let's say I take this thing that's been a mat and that's been on the ground and I pick it up and I move it to my workbench. 
okay, where, where I have all my leather tools. Does that change its identity? That's your idea. I put it on my sukkah. Fine, you moved yeah, it. Know. But you haven't so done you something you significant to change its identity. Yeah. <laughs> because in the case of the tzach, it is in the place yeah, of service. Right. right. All right. It's a good question. It's a good question. Let's see where the Gemara goes with it, okay? The Gemara is going to say that maybe it works, but not for the reason that Michael just said, which is a very good point. Let's see what the Gemara says. When is it that your thought can't change its an identity when it has a status of a vessel. That is a significant identity. And therefore, your thought now won't just change it. You need an action. But a simple question of a, of a twig, is it serving the food, fruit, or is it not serving the fruit? It's not a, a thing about like the identity of the object. It's more like functional. You know, where is it associated with? That's only a question of it's serving the, the eating or not serving the eating. It's not like the identity of the twig, you know. It's a question of what function are you using it with. These are the stems. The stems, right? the stems, I should be saying. The salka. Maybe a thought gives it one function, the stem to serve the fruit, and another thought gives it another function. It's not serving the fruit. It's not a major identity issue of the stem that needs an action to redefine it. So that's a pretty good way of distinguishing between the two. The Gemara says, no. Vatanan, we talk in the Mishnah, in Uktsin, which is, talks about this issue of Yad, ko yadas ha'ochlim, all these stems, or the Yads, of food. Shebisusan begoret, that you were beseced them in a goret. Now what does beseced mean is going to be a, a big debate in a minute. Okay, but let's take a look. Um, so, um... So one explanation of bisasan is you like undid the bundle, okay? You, you the other word explanation of bisasan is like you sort of threshed it, okay? So 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 you were them in the threshing floor, tahorot or tahor. And Reb Yossi said this Tommy, although the Gemara later is going to quote the end, it, it seems like it hasn't quoted the end yet. Okay, so that's the halacha. You have this bundle of wheat, and you were now what is the yad for a wheat? The yad for the wheat is the straw, is the stem. That's not the actual food itself, but it supports it, okay? What do you use that stem for? You don't eat the wheat, like you don't hold like a twig of an apple, you know, uh, the stem of an apple. You know, what, what do you use that stem for in the wheat case? How does it serve the purpose? Can you think about how that stem helps serve the purpose of the wheat? Yeah. Well, you carry it, exactly. You bundle up a bundle of wheat, and you're using the straw sheath. to make a sheath, um, and sheave, right, a sheath is something else, to make a sheath, and that helps you carry it, right? So that's the way the yad serves the wheat. So now you take this bundle of wheat into your threshing floor and you undo the bundle and it all falls. Now right now, what are you going to do? You're going to bring in your cows, you're going to thresh it. Okay, you're going to turn it, you know, you're going to separate the, the kernel from the chaff and so on. Do you need the straw anymore? Not really, right? The straw is just going to get in the way. So at the moment you undid the bundle, you now no longer need that yad. So, what, so there's going to be one interpretation that the word bisasan means you, un, you undid them. Okay? And that changes their identity. Okay, so this, this straw had served the food. You now undo the bundle. You have no longer any need for it. It stops serving the, fr- the, fr- the food. It no longer is a yad. So let's take a look at what the Gemara does with it. It makes sense if the word bisasan means hitir ogdan agudan. You undid the, the nas, the bundle. Shapir. That's a good proof. Why is it a good proof? Because the Gemara says, and Michael, this addresses your issue, this is just like the case of the schach. You didn't physically change the piece of wheat. You didn't do an action to the piece of the wheat directly. But you, put, you, 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 you did something with it 
so that now it's clear you no longer need the stem. You undid the bundle in the threshing floor. That makes it clear you no longer need the stem. So that would show that a machshava, or if you want, a machshava was doing an act in to, with something, but not to something, is sufficient. The stem was part of the wheat. You undid the bundle. It's no longer halachically considered part of the wheat. Just like the schach. You wanted the stem with the fruit. With the fruit, fruit. You moved the schach to the top of your sukkah. You decided to make it into schach. And now it changes its identity. That is analogous. And the man says, okay. We see there that that type of a thing would work. Even though it's not done to the object, just with the object. That would be good. Elul, Amanda Amar, my Bisasan, but according to the approach that Bisasan means something else. Bisasan Mamash, literally Bisasan, what does that mean? Rashi says it means thresh them. If you take a look in Rashi, he gives you how this word Bisas could mean these different things. Anyway, but if it means that you literally began to thresh it, which is changing the weed itself, you're threshing the weed. So, Michael Amemar, what can you say? Because there's no, because only when you actually physically change it does the Yad change its identity. So the Gemara says, so here too, in the case of the schach, um, uh, one minute. Oh no, it's it's, it's rhetorical. One minute. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hold on, one minute. Right. You actually did a similar type of a thing when you decided to, um, I mean, Rocky doesn't describe what exactly that scenario would be, but you decided to actually make this branch into schach. You did something. Maybe you, you know, maybe you pressed it down. You flattened it. Okay. You did something physical to the branch itself in order to use it as schach. Okay, so that's why you did. That's what you did. Ihachi says the Gemara. Matamayu dacherim. What's the reason of of the others that say that it still does not does not change its identity? So the Amar Rebbeosi, fine, they'll go like Rebbeosi did. Now we turn in the Mishnah. Rebbeosi metamet. Rebbeosi says that even when you thresh the wheat, the straw remains part of it. So you wanted to say that if the word here means threshing it and you need actually physically to change it in order to change the status of the Yad. So similarly when we were talking about the fronds of palm with the dates on it, it would only change the status of the Yad when you physically changed it. So Michael said before, what would you do to physically change it? And I said, you did something, you beat it down, you flattened it, you did something to make it more into schach. And that's why the Yad changes its status. But if that's true, why would any? Why would there be the debate? Why would Rebbe Meir Achim say that it doesn't change the status? Uh, says no. We have like Rebbe Yosi, just like over here by the threshing that it doesn't change the status. There it would be the same thing. One minute. Hi, my. How could you compare it? There it's different. There the reason Rebbe Yosi says even when you thresh it, the straw is still part of it, is because the straw still serves a purpose. What purpose does it serve once you started threshing it? Like what Rach Lakish says. Since you can upturn it with a pitchfork. Right? Even after you begin to thresh the wheat, the straw is functional. Because if you want to, you know, after you're threshing and you want to tr- turn it upside down and thresh it from the other side, you know, and move it around, you're going to use a pitchfork and the straw will help for that. So, so what is it any good for here? It has a use. It has a use. Right. Right. So here's the case. I think it's probably getting a little bit lost, but I see if I can help a little with them. Okay. Here are your big palm fronds. Right. I don't know. Is that what a palm frond looks like? 
know, with your date attached to it, right? Okay, and, you're, and the question is, what is the status of the yam? Does that count with the kashashach or the pasoshach? Okay? So we want to say, now, if we're trying to say that in a normal case, yad is always part of the kosheshach, what is the debate here? The debate here originally was cut for achila, so originally when it was a tzorach achila, this was a yad, okay? And now you change your mind and you want to use it for schach, and does that change the status? All right, that's that question. So that's the same thing, you know, the dates don't grow from the front, they grow from the trunk. You think? All right. Like now, it's something like out of the trunk. All right, you know what? Too much for me right now. Okay, okay. so we're comparing that to this case, okay? In this case, this is the yad, right? This your wheat? This is your, that's my wheat, my bundle of wheat. That's the yad, right? Okay, and it starts off having that status like this. It started off having the status, right? And then it changed. Is it going to change? So what's the scenario? So that's a debate, right? The Tanakhama says here that it's a tahor, not a yad, and the Yossi says, that it's Tameh, which means it is a Yad. Okay? And here, too, the debate is, as Tanakhama said, that it is Kosher Shach, which means not a Yad, and Acherim say that it is the Yad is Pasu, which means that it is a Yad. Okay? So we have two debates. We want to figure out what the debate is. So the Gemara says, ah, first answer actually works very good, because the first answer describes this scenario, what did you do here? So here it went from, you cut it down, for the purpose of Ochel, and then you decided to use it for Schach, okay, that was your Machtava, you started with that and you moved, and here what did you do? It started naturally as Yad, what changed? What changed was, according to one version, these signs of means you undid the knot, okay? So when it says, hey, that's great, that's parallel, because you didn't do anything to the thing itself, the same way here you just had a new thought, okay, maybe you put it up on top of your Sukkah, you did something with it, but not to it. Here too, you undid the knot, you had a new thought. You didn't. You did something with it, but not to it. And we have a debate here whether it has the status of God. We have a debate here whether it keeps the status of whether whether that status will change. Will the status change when you had a new thought and did something with it without doing something to it? It's a very nice parallel debate. Okay, but the Gemara says, but no. There's another opinion that says everybody would agree that's not enough. And what's happening here is, yeah, I have to draw my cow. Okay, whatever. You actually started threshing it. Okay? That looks like a big piece of wheat. Anyway, you actually started threshing it. And that's what, the, that's what happens here. Okay? So, what's the parallel? You actually have to do something to it. So, fine, we'll say you didn't just have it in thought. You actually beat it down and did something to it to more physically make it schach. So, now we've made them parallel. Okay? It's not just a new machshava. There's actually some physical act. You did something physical to make it into schach. Now, but now we have a question. If that's true, you actually did something physical, shouldn't everybody agree that this changes? What's the story? So we might say, here we understand why there could still be a debate. Because even though you did something physical, you might still want the straw to, you know, to, t- to use the picture. Turn it over. But here, once you've done something physical, how could there still be a debate? Why would anybody say you want this to be part of the fruit? You're now using this as schach. So you would so, not have to worry about the... You might never, until you actually started sifting it or something. You might never not have to worry, as long as it's attacked. Okay, so Gemara says, so now we understand how you're making a parallel. In both cases, you did something physical, not just with it, but to it. But what's the logic that the stem should still be part of the fruit if you're actually going to use it for schach? Okay, so the Gemara says... What's the stem still going to be used for? What's it fit for? Now that, you know, for why, why would it want to be part of the fruit? 
No, it's fit because Sukkot isn't going to last forever. So when Sukkot is over and you undo your Sukkah, then you're going to want to, um, you know, to pick it up with the stem. So basically the point is, you know what? If you still got the fruit attached to your frond or whatever it's attached to. And you want the stem because you initially planned to use it for fruit. So just because the fruit is attached now doesn't mean you're, after Sukkot, you're not going cut, to cut it off and go back to using it for fruit. So therefore, it still is considered to be part of it. What does it mean with okay. Gilai? Rashi says it means just like with the straw, with the stem. Okay? So, so in some, basically, the whole debate is can we use stems or not for soft because stems may or may not be... Part of the fruit. May or may not be part of it and therefore possible to get... Tame. Tame. Exactly. And the whole, and the whole question is... Under what circumstances? Under what, what, what circumstances is it, is it no longer part of the fruit because you you don't need to handle and what constitutes what physical activity exactly do people disagree? That is an excellent summary. Correct. And the only reason here, if we actually did a physical act that we would still consider part of the fruit, is because sukkus is going to last forever, and when sukkus is over, you're yeah. still going to want it as part of the fruit. So you can do. You can hold it. Yeah. No, you mean you mean like how do you you don't want it as part of the fruit? You might not have a choice. That's the thing. Okay, yeah. you might not. Not everything is what possible you in this world. You're comparing the edible and non-edible portions. Exactly. So how, how do you value these stems? That was exactly. What side do they fall on? Exactly. Okay. So now the it says like this. Gufa. Let's go back and look at the statement as we said before. Kol yados ha'ochlin shabisa san begaron tahoros. Reb Yosi mitame. Okay, so this is exactly this issue. Once you do this bisasan in the threshing floor, are the stems, are the, uh, are, is the straw still considered to be a yad or not? The Chachamim say no, and Rabbi Yossi says it is. My bisasan, what does this mean? Rabbi Yochanan Omer bisasan mamash, literally you threshed it. Rabbi Eliezer Omer kiter agdan. No, it's enough to just undo the knot, and there already that would change the status. Okay, so bishleim al Rabbi Elazar damar bishan he tarag don high new time the matami Rabbi Yosi. Now we understand that's a big chiddush that just not even physically changing it, just undoing the knot changes the status of the stem. Now you can of the uh, straw. You can understand why Rabbi Yosi wouldn't go along with that. Oh, the Rabbi Yochanan damar bishan mamash amay matami Rabbi Yosi. We're just recapping what we said before, right? But now doing it with not with a using it as a proof, but a focus on this debate itself. If you actually threshed it, why would the straw still be considered part of the of the wheat and because it's fit to upturn them with a prick for the point, the point was just to now directly show the debate of Rabbi Yochanan uh, of uh, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yochanan before we refer to it here we were sort of quoting it directly I'm a rebel lazar, said rebel lazar. Lemoning shall let's lemoning shall let's do atar. Why is the prayer by Yatar Yitzhak Lashem Lenochach Yitzto, by Yayasir Lo Hashem? Right? So why does by Yatar, which is a word for a pitchfork, uh, I don't know if it's a biblical word for a pitchfork, I didn't check. But anyway, um, it probably, it probably is. Anyway, why is that the same word used for supplication and prayer? So lo melacha ma atar zem ha'pechet hatzvua begorin the same way a pitchfork turns uh, you know you use it to turn over the wheat in a, a threshing floor mimakam lamakam you carry it from one place to another place apsi latan shel tzedikim ha'pechet tata shel kadosh baruch hu minas achvarius minas rachmanus the prayer of righteous turns God's you know desire and God's attributes from that of um, cruelty it's actually quite a, a harsh phrase to use I normally say minas hadin here minas achvarius cruelty 
to that of compassion. So to what? I understand, but it's interesting to use the phrase of Chazaria. So it's quite yeah. fascinating, right? To turn over to like, you know, to imagine that what you're doing is your, your prayers are, you know, are reversing and turning something over, turning it over. about the efficacy of prayer. Well, yeah. Well, the Gemara often has statements like that about the efficacy, but the metaphor, the imagery is yeah. powerful too. Okay, so let's keep on going. The Gemara says like this. You know, I'll just say very quickly, there's a fascinating Rashi here. It maybe is actually more of a gloss in Rashi because there's some, um, there's some debate about, um, about uh, not some debate, some, seems sometimes within our Rashi's we have some glosses of a student. So if you take a look here, it says like this, it says um, uh, four lines down in the wide lines, about a third into the line. You see where it says Sha'altius Mori? Yeah, that's not the standard lesson of Rashi. This is probably the student saying, Sha'altius Mori Migufa, the Mishnah. It says Gufa, and then it quotes the Mishnah. The, ma- the fourth wide line in the Rashi. Just in the middle, where it's in the middle. I'm talking in the middle. Sha'altius Mori Migufa, the Mishnah. It says Gufa, and then it quoted this Mishnah about the Bisasan. The Maitiag of It had sort of indirectly quoted the Mishnah. And then, you, by the way, do people appreciate the difference between Gufa and Amar Mar? I think I've said this before. Okay? Gufa and Amar Mar are two ways of looking at something that has been quoted before and analyzing it. Something that was quoted in the middle of a debate, going back and looking at it and, and analyzing it. The difference is, is that um, Gufa is when we quoted a portion of, uh, of something, and now we're going to sort of like quote it in whole and then look at it. Okay, Amamar is when we maybe quoted the whole thing, but now we're going to sort of select some lines out to look at it. Okay, so here he's saying, he describes it. He says, Demaisi Agav Grara Bishmaisin, this Mishnah was brought indirectly in the Mishnah, and then we're going to say Gufa and go back to the whole Mishnah and look at it in whole. So, Mishayach Lemisne Gufa, Kirigarsinam Bimemas Hamarai. Why would you say Gufa, which is normally something we do in like a a Moraic statement, which is pretty funny, but he probably means it's more something that we do often with, you know, brightas, or, you know, it's rare that we, we, we apparently, I haven't checked it out, apparently we don't say Gufa by a Mishnah. We would say Gufa by like a brighta or an Moraic statement we were going back to, but not a Mishnah. The Amrli Rebbe, Mishum Dahach Mishnah, Mina Taros. Yeah, but it's a Mishnah Taros. Nobody ever learns Taros. Shemehem Gemara Ba'olam. Below Mifureshes Kishar Mishnayat. Vichach Norachach Lomar Gufa Kedei Lefaresh. Meaning, the basic point is, why would we say Gufa to exportate a Mishnah? Just talk about the Mishnah when you get to it. Get, when, you know, when you get, so if we quoted a Mishnah in Baba Kama, we wouldn't say Gufa and look at it here. We'll explain that Mishnah when we get to Baba Kama. Why are we saying Gufa? He says, oh, we're saying Gufa because it's a Mishnah Taros and there's no Gemara in Taros. So if we're going to quote a Mishnah in Taros, the only place to look at it would be here now that we quoted it. Okay, but it is fascinating that like historical, you know, that sensitivity to how Gufa is used and the historical question and so on. By the way, though, I was going to say, um, um, yeah, so uh, I, you, you, you can check this. I don't know, but apparently, according to this, other than, ta- other than you know, Gufa is never used by a Mishnah, so you, that could be something you could check. I'm, by the way, just seeing here if, we can, uh, if I can figure out if I'm going to do a Bariwan search if Atar is a biblical word. Hold on one second. Oh, got that right. Atar is in fork. Yeah. If Atar, Atar meaning fork, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, so I've heard biblical words that have been implemented in Adir. Was it what? Adir. I am valid. Oh, for a pitchfork? Uh, I just, 
Let's try this quickly. Yes, what did the article say? Right. Right. Okay. Of a pitchfork? Oh, interesting. You only have two? It's not like our pitchfork with a lot of tongues? It's like a pickle fork. Okay, well, I just tried to do a search and I'm not... Oh, it's, it's in the middle. It's working on it. Oh, because I didn't limit it to Tanakh, so it's going through, like, everything in the world. All right, anyway, let's keep on going. Let's look at the... Atarot um, Vidivon. That doesn't help us. Right. Atarot, Atarot. Hold on, let's see. Is it in Yehoshua? And the shop. Oh, here's Vayhi David nechpazel lechas minei Shaul v'shuv v'anashav otrim el David ve'el anashav l'tafsam. So that means, like, I don't know, chasing after something. Um, not a haya a teres tiferes. That's a crown. Haram ha'atara ve'ateres tiferes. It does not look like what. Oh, that's with a test, right. Oh I, I, oh, I put it in wrong. All right, we'll have to look it up later. No wonder I'm getting the wrong word. I put it in with a test. All right, let's go on. Let's look at the Mishnah. Mesachim b'nesarim divi Reb Yehuda. So you can use, can you use planks of wood for your schach? So you can, that's what Reb Yehuda says. Um, um, Rebbe Meir oser, and Rebbe Meir forbids it. Because, uh, we'll see, but the most obvious reason is, even though it's a plank of wood, it's like a two-by-four, right? Well, and it's totally it. not macabre to a money so grows from the ground. Wide. Well, we'll see how wide it is. But basically, it's very nice that it's kosher schach, but it looks like a roof. you got straight planks of wood up on your roof. Now, if you did put a plank of wood for tzvachim on your roof, the sukkah can remain kosher, but don't sleep under it. And the idea would be, like we've seen before, that's talking if it's juxtaposed to the wall, because then it's like a bending wall. So there, it, even though it's puzzle schach, it will be kosher if it's, if it's directly adjacent to the wall, but you can't sleep under it because now it gets the status of a wall and it no longer has the status of schach. I know, but that's what Raji says, and that's what the Gemara is going to say, although not here later. Amarav says Rav, Machlokas Benisarim Sheishben Arba'ah. The debate of can you use planks of wood is if they're four tefachim wide, about a foot wide. The Rebbe Meir East Lake Zerastik, where Rebbe Meir says you can't because it looks too much like a ceiling, a normal ceiling. Rebbe Yehuda Lake Zerastik, and Rebbe Yehuda doesn't hold of that. Although Benisarim She'ein Behem Arba'ah, but if it's not four tefachim wide, Divya Kolkshera, everybody would agree that it's kosher because nobody would think that that constitutes yet a like significant plank and it doesn't look like a roof. Shmuel Amar and Shmuel say no. But Shem Ben Arba Machlokas. They debate even smaller, even less than four Tzvachim. But Yehi Ben Arba, once it's four Tzvachim, Divya Kopsula, everybody would say it's possible. Meaning everybody holds of the Gzeira Stikra that you fundamentally cannot use a plank of wood that looks like a roof. The only debate is how big of a plank begins to be a problem. Rebu, everybody agrees four Tzvachim is a problem. What about less than four Tzvachim? So if I said, Ein Ben Arba, less than four Tzvachim is a problem. How less? You mean like even less than three tzvachim? It's just a stick. You'll call every, every piece of wood. you call it a plank. There's got to be a range in which it's a problem. So, here's what he means. Once it's four tzvachim, everybody holds the problem. Everybody holds of this gzeris tikra. 
Pachos mishlosha, less than three, divya kok shera. Everybody would agree it's okay, because that is just a stick. My time, a kind of it's just a stick. Keep ligi mishlosha vat arba. The debate, according to this approach, is everybody agrees of the gzela tikra. The debate is how big. Is four is certainly a problem. Between three and four, that's the debate of Rebbe Yehud and Rebbe Meir. Mar Savar, Rebbe Yehuda would hold, one would hold, even the less new sheer makom logazrin, and less than Fort Fachim is not yet the size of a space. Remember, we discussed this idea before, particularly by like Rishus Hayachid. What's the minimum Rishus Hayachid? Fort Fachim by Fort Fachim with a wall ten Fachim high. So less than Fort Fachim doesn't carve out for itself a significant place. Like it's not a space unto itself. Okay? It's in a space, but it's not covering a space itself. So that's not significant enough. Um, so Logazina, that's not included in the Gzeira. Umar Savan, the other says, no, even the Nothing Lumitar is loved. Once it's more than three, then it's not, then, you know, you know, or three or more. Less than three is like lovud. It's like the air doesn't even exist, right? It's like things are connected within three. But three or more, it already is a significant. You know, you can't say lovud with this space. So therefore, it's a significant width. So gazrina, and therefore, it's part of the gzera. Okay. So therefore, it's interesting how they don't have a debate about whether it looks like a roof or not, right? Like, but, you know, everybody says that flanks four tvachim why people use for roofs. The debate is whether people use, how much people use between three and four, right? So this is, by the way, classic in the Gemara, that although the reason is a very pragmatic concern of what it looks like, once it becomes a halachic issue, we start applying, like, very, you know, conceptual, formalist categories to it. What would be a problem of roofs? Is it the size of a makam or is it the size of lovud? You know, that determines what size plank was going to be a problem for this concern about looking like roots. They're pretty okay. wide, it seems to me. In other words, two tfachim of a plank. Yeah. Yeah, but how, how, how big would your planks be for your rooftop? I don't know. I don't know how, you know, but you're right. I mean, it's not insignificant. You, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call 10 inches a stick. Right. right, it's a Gemara's phrasing of cunning Ba'alma. Right. Again, it's sort of like, you know, this is like real halachic man. It doesn't look at it like how people look at it. <laughs> oh, but to a halachic lens, anything less than three Tvachim is not a significant width. It is fascinating. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. No one's talking about how close it is to the wall. No. If you write down the middle, it could be... Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. To be kosher, it's better than to be close to the wall. But to be possible, it could be anywhere. Okay. All right. So, yeah, no, close, no, it allows you to bend the wall. It doesn't require you, but it's closer to the wall, allows you to bend the wall. And therefore, you know, even though it's puzzle to keep the sukkah at least kosher by bending the wall, you know, with the schach. I thought close to the wall would be more like the roof because you'd have to be trusting with the wall. Yeah. No, that does not seem to be a concern. Yeah, that we'll see. That, that, no, that doesn't seem to be the concern. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. So this is two ways of explaining the debate. Either categorical, that it's Fort Tzvachim and Rebbe Yehuda doesn't care at all about this issue, or that it's a, a question of, of the range within three to four Tzvachim. Now, let's see which, how this plays out. Tanan, our Mishnah teaches, If you did four Tzvachim, it's kosher. But don't sleep under it. Now that said, anonymously. So it sounds a little bit from the Mishnah that everybody agrees to this. This works. They're only debating less than Fort Fachim. But once it's Fort Fachim, everybody says it's Pasul. So there we forget it. It's Fort Fachim. Everybody agrees it's Pasul. And it tells you the sukkah can be kosher. Again, I'm reading this through Rashi. 
the sukkah can be kosher if you put it against the wall, uh, against the wall, because then it's a bending wall. But don't sleep under it. I will read the rab, the amr b'shiyeh ben avra machlokas. Referring to rab that says that when it's even when it's four, Rabbi Yehuda doesn't care about it. And less than four, everybody would say it's kosher. So we're talking about four or bigger. Oh, that's that's the whole debate. And even there, Rebbe Yehuda doesn't care. So the Rebbe Yehuda, what's the explanation of the last line in the Mishnah? Why can't you sleep under it according to Rebbe Yehuda? So the Mishnah says, Mi savis What made you think the last line of the Mishnah was was uh, unanimous? Say Foss on the Rebbe Mayer. The last line is part of Rebbe Mayer's statement. So the Rebbe Mayer, who says it's a problem, says once it's four, it's fucking it's a problem, and don't sleep under it. Okay. Tashma. Let's try to prove this again. If you have two sheets going across your sukkah, and let's say each sheet, and puzzle schach is only a problem once it's four, it's wide. Okay? Now that doesn't be individual. Piece of schach could be less than four, it's If you have a metal bar, right, that's one tefach, it's puzzle, but it only creates a problem in the sukkah if you have four tfachim of those metal bars. So let's say you have a sheet, which is puzzle, because it's woven, it's makabal and it goes down the length of your sukkah, but it's not four tfachim wide, it's only two tfachim wide. But then you put another sheet right alongside of it. Well, will that combine to four tfachim? Sure. Uh, Weave them together. But so what? It's like one metal bar and another metal bar. They're right next to each other. So of course it combines to four tfachim to make a problem of four tfachim of invalid tzach in your sukkah. That's true. But shnei nisarim ain mitzvahim. Two planks of wood do not combine. Why not? Let's assume that each plank is let, let, if the issue is combining to four tfachim, then the need to combine means that each plank is less than four tfachim. Right? Because the whole question is does it create a total of four tfachim of puzzle schach? So if each plank is less than four tfachim, you have a two tefach wide plank and a two tefach, they don't combine because they're co- each one by itself is kosher schach. Right? right? You can never have kosher schach. What? No, you can never have kosher schach. You can say, well, well exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, that's what the Murphy says. the Alma. Rabbi Meir, Omer, Afnasan, Kisadini. No, the planks are like sheets. They do combine. So this could be exactly a scenario where uh, where it's less than four tfachim, let's say three tfachim wide, and the first opinion would be Rabbi Yehuda would say, I don't care, I don't hope think this is a problem. And Rabbi Meir says, no, it is a problem because even that size combines. Um, and it's Pasukah. So Bishleim Elishmuel, this works according to Shmuel, the Amar Bishayim Ben Arba'am Machlok, as the debate can be even less than four Tvachim, uh, so let's say three Tvachim, Abba Yesh Ben Arba'ad, Yvechop Sula, once it's for everybody agrees it's not good. My Mitzdarfim, Mitzdarfim La Arba'ad, the debate is perfect. We would be dealing with a three Tefach plank, right, which Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda would say is okay, Rabbi Meir would say is no good, and you have two three Tefach planks side by side. So Rabbi Yehuda says, each one is fine, good. And Rabbi Meir says, no, each one is invalid, and therefore they combine, and it's, two, more, and it's more than four tefachim of puzzle schach in the middle. Well, okay, so they're like right next to each other, right? They're right next to each other, yeah, right. how, do get, yeah, how do you get around the situation that the entire, it'll be mitzvah the entire... No, it has to be three tefachim, right? The debate, uh, it only begins, it only begins to be puzzle schach, according to Rabbi Meir, once it's three tefachim. So meaning, according to Shmuel's approach, you could have a plane that's less than four tefachim, that Rebbe Meir would say is invalid once it's three tfachim and therefore Rebbe Meir could say you need two three tfachim planks next to each other to create a problem that works and Rebbe Huda wouldn't be bothered because it's less than four by itself but Rav says not only does Rav say Rebbe Huda never has a problem Rav says even Rebbe Meir only has a problem once it's four tfachim so if even Rebbe Meir only has a problem once it's four tfachim what do you need to combine with? 
Right? It's by itself. It's the fourth Tvachim of Pasuscha. Hey, Chidami, what's the case? If the plank has four tzvachim, why would Rebbe Meir need to combine it with anything? It's already four tzvachim. If it's less than four tzvachim, according to you, Rob, you're saying that Rebbe Meir, even that, Rebbe, that not only does Rebbe Yehuda not have a problem at all, but even Rebbe Meir doesn't have a problem less than four tzvachim. So, so what, what's the case? We have to be talking about four tzvachim, according to you. So what's the combining? It says, there is four tzvachim. Why would it need to combine? Because it's combining a lot of planks, so you have so much, you have four amos from the side, you can't even say, Dofen Akuma. Okay? You got it? Here's your, here's your sukkah. Right? Now, we initially thought that what's the case? You've got a plank of three tvachim alongside another plank of three tvachim. Right? And they combine to make a four tefach problem. Because you only, it's only a problem if you have four tefachim of pasoskah. And that's possible if Rebbe Mayer says less than four tefachim can be a problematic plank. But if Rebbe Mayer says that only four tefachim can be a problematic plank, you don't need it to combine. Once you have a four tefach plank, you already have four tefachim of pasoskah. What would be the issue? And the Gemara says the issue is that you put it along the side. If you're putting these planks along the side, then even though each one is four tzvachim, the sukkah remains kosher because you just do the bending wall. But if you keep on putting them so much that you now have four amot, right, now you can no longer do the bending wall. The bending wall only goes up to four amot. So what you may are saying is if you put kosher, if you put these te- planks along the side, it will combine so much to make four amot and stop you from saying so I don't know what you saying dofen akuma the limit of dofen akuma okay so so anyway so that's what we said according to Rebbe according to Rav they're debating four tefach planks and even so they're debating whether they combine meaning do they combine from the side that would be the only time according to Rebbe Meir you would need it to combine Lishna another way of saying the debate is the following uh, or arguing this point is the following Again, it's interesting that the Gemara says it was starting with this. We'll talk about three Tavach planks according to Shmuel, and the issue is could it combine to four Tavachim in the middle, or could it combine to being four Amos from the side? Either way. But according to Rav, we get Rebbe Meir. We're talking about four tefach planks, and Rebbe Meir says it's a problem. It'll combine. Combine for what purpose? To be four, uh, four, four amos from the side. El Rebbe Yehuda, the Amar Afilu Yesh Ben Arbak Shera. But according to Rebbe Yehuda, that says even at four tefachim it's kosher. My Amit Starfin. Why would you have to say they don't combine? What do you mean they don't combine? Kani Ba'omaninu. They're just sticks. Just tell me they're not puzzles chach. But then, yeah, but I need to come a Rebbe Meir mitzarfin, a Rebbe Yehuda ain mitzarfin. Since Rebbe Meir says they combine, Rebbe Yehuda says they don't combine. So it's basically the same point. Rebbe Meir is just saying, look, according to Rav, we're talking about four tefach planks, and Rebbe Meir says they combine to be four amos from the side. That's Rebbe Meir mitzarfin. Why does Rebbe Yehuda say ain mitzarfin? What Rebbe Yehuda should be saying about this is it's all kosher schach. So says, you're right, he could have said it's all kosher schach, but since Rebbe Meir says it combines, he says it doesn't combine, but in the end of the day, Rebbe Huda really holds that it is all kosher schach. 
Okay. Tanya, so we just want to keep on going. Tanya Kivase Durav, Tanya Kivase Dishmur. We have a bright that supports each position. Tanya Kivase Durav, we taught like Rav. Sichacha Binisarim Shel Ered. If you use cedar planks, like real, like permanent. Sheein Behem Arba'at, less than Fort Fachim. Sivakok Shera, it explicitly says like Rav. Less than Fort Fachim, everybody says it's okay. Once it's Fort Fachim, Rebbe Meir, Posel, Rebbe Yudah Mashir, Rebbe Meir invalidates and Rebbe Yudah says it's out. So explicit like Rav, they're debating Fort Fachim or bigger. Amar Rebbe Yudah says Rebbe Yudah, Maisa Bishata Takana, there was a time when it was a time of danger, meaning that there was a edict from the non-Jews and that they could not build a sukkah, maybe, who knows, even at, at you know, you know, you know, persecution and, who, you know, maybe they might have even faced persecution or death. So there was no, so they were not allowed to sit in the sukkah. So what did they do? We, it's quite interesting, he talks in the we, the plural. Right? Rabbi Yehuda was a student of Rabbi Akiva, right? Rabbi Akiva was the Herodian persecution. So it's interesting that this Shasa Sakana seems to be something that he actually experienced. So what did we do? We bought, brought some planks that were Fort Fachim wide. And we put it on top of our porch and we dwelled under it. So they didn't realize we were living in a sukkah. We fooled the Romans. Right, you got the scenario? Right, we basically put planks. We made it look like we're having a covered portico. And well, technically it was a kosher sukkah. So, and those planks were Fort Fachim. So you see Fort Fachim is okay. So, so they have an obvious response. Sham Raya, you want to bring a proof from there? Ain't kind of Raya. What we allow at the time of persecution is not a proof of what the general halacha is. Fascinating little historical note, but again relevant that according to Rob, it's clear they own, it goes like Rob. They're only arguing for Tzvachim or bigger. Tanya Kibbutzim Dishmur. This persecution therefore they they allow something to puzzle. I understand. Yeah, it's only rabbinically common. Tanya Kibbutzim Dishmur. We talk like Shmuel. Sichem and Nisarim show Erez. If you uh, if you um, use these again uh, planks of cedar, sheishben arba'a. Once it's for Tzvachim, according to this price, it's even kolpsula. Everybody says it's invalid. Ain't been arba'ah, if it doesn't have arba'ah, Rebbe there, Rebbe Meir, Posel, Rebbe Lomachir, that's the debate. That Moda Rebbe Meir, now even though Rebbe Meir invalidates, he admits, Shinyesh be Neser le Neser, Kamale Neser, that if there's a gap between one plank and the other, the size of a plank, Sheminiach Psal be Neim, again fascinating that the word for kosher schach is Psal, Psolesgar and Biyakev, you put kosher schach between them, the Kshera and it's kosher. We're going to deal with this later, but the basic idea here is, is that if you have, right, this is your plank, and this is your plank, and this is your plank, right? And you have this, and you have kosher shock between them, so, you know, now that's kosher. Now, why? You would say it's 50-50, even if it's a rogue of kosher schach, but it's not intermingled. Why does it become kosher? So the Gemara is going to do a scenario that you actually start at opposite ends of the sukkah. So in the middle, you have, by doing in between, since you're living it off, you're starting at opposite ends, okay, you have, in the middle, you have two, two of these things of kosher, which is eight fachim, which is the size of a kosher sukkah, and somehow that makes, and then you bend the wall up to it. You sort of see what you do? You do the bending wall up to this point, and the bending wall up to this point, and that's the kosher. I guess that depends on how wide your sukkah Exactly. Anyway, that's how the girl will explain it, but that's not our interest right now. Okay, Rebbe Meir would agree to that case. Um Moda Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Yehuda would agree that even though Rebbe Yehuda is lenient and says that 
that, you know, that, that uh, sometimes these planks are kosher if they're less than four. Once it's four, it, uh, it can be kosher in the It is true it can be kosher if, uh, if you put it on the side, but the ain't your shaining tachtav. You can't sleep under it. So even Rebut admits that, that Mekil would agree that you can't sleep under it. Um, and if you do, you didn't fulfill, fulfill your obligation. Okay, so there we have the debate of Rav and Shmuel. Are they debating four and bigger? According to Rav, one Bryce explicitly says that's the only debate. Are they debating between three and four? But once it's four, everybody agrees it's invalid. That's another Brighta. And the Brighta ended, we're not going to worry about this case of alternating by saying that what the Mishnah says, which is, is that your sukkah will remain kosher, Okay, if you, again, the way Rashi explains it, put it at the side, do the bending wall, the sukkah will remain kosher, but you can't sleep under it because now it constitutes a wall. Interesting, now, debating which debate is right? Exactly. Figure which, one has, which, which debate is the correct debate? Then, then we have to figure out how we pask it. Right. Right. So we'll do, well, I'll say a minute about that at the end. Let's just finish to the end of the daf. I think we can do this. Okay. Um, Ismar was taught. You took these four tefak planks, which are puzzled, and you rotated them 90 degrees and you're going to use it on schach but you're going to use it right here's your plank here's your puzzle plank but you're going to put it on your sukkah not like a plank you're going to put it on your sukkah like this okay will that be kosher now okay so um, Rav Huna Amar Psula Rav Huna says it remains invalid Rav Chiz and Rav Bar Rav Huna Amar Ksheva and Rav Chiz and Rav Bar Rav Huna Rav Huna's son said it was kosher so Ikla Rav Nachman was Surah now they're all in Surah Rav Nachman was visiting Surah so Ulagabe Rav Chizda Rabbi Rav Huna. So Rav Chizda Rabbi Rav Huna, who said it was kosher, went to visit Rav Nachman, tried to get him involved in this debate. Amile, they said to him, What would be the story if you would turn the plank of wood on its side? Would it be kosher? Which is what they would say. Amalehu, he said to them, Psula, no, it remains invalid. Once the rabbi said you can't use a plank, then you have to treat it like stuff. You have to treat it like a metal bar. Right? It doesn't matter that in this configuration it's not for its fucking wide or people normally don't make a roof with planks turned 90 degrees. Once the rabbi said the plank was invalid, then they gave it a full status of invalid schach. And then it doesn't matter how you put it on your sukkah. Amalu Rav Huna, so Rav Huna said to these two rabbis who debated him, one being his son, Lo ami luchu, ami hey, ha ha, so I was right. Didn't I tell you you should say like me? You see that? Rav Nachman agrees with me. He says it's invalid. Amrule, they said to him, yeah, but he gave, Rav Nachman gave us a reason. You know, you said, oh, listen to me. Uh, but you didn't, you didn't give us a reason. If you would have given it, have you ever given us a reason and then we didn't listen to you? So you should have told us why. Amr Lehu said back to them, Have you ever asked me for a reason? I didn't tell you. If you wanted a reason, you should have asked. Fascinating. I've had arguments like this. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so now we see that even if you turn it on your side, it's no good. Uh, Because once the rabbis invalidated it, they made it really like Puzzle Schach. Let me bring a proof to this idea that it doesn't matter, that it remains invalid. If a sukkah cannot hold your body in your table, less than seven by seven tzvachim. Oh, if it's up here, or there's a gap between the wall and the, and the floor, uh, there, and there's, uh, you know, and it's, uh, been, and it's been breached. 
and the size of that gap is the size that a little kid goat could run underneath it, which basically is three tfachim, okay? So meaning, if your get wall is three tfachim off of the ground, then you can't say love it and it no longer serves as a wall, a goat could run under it, so that will be invalid. Oh, here's a third way of invalid. You put a plank that's four tfachim wide on it, even though only three tfachim are, are covering the schach, it remains invalid. So the Gemara says, well, that's how you're explaining it, but the Gemara initially didn't understand that. The Gemara says, what's the case? That it's a four tfachim wide and only three tfachim are covering the schach. Last to go to Hafen When do you turn it on the side? Of course, think about what a piece of wood would have to look like like that. Four tfachim wide one way, which is like a foot, and three tfachim, and nine inches the other way. That is huge. like a huge thing. Well, it's like, you know, those big, uh, you know, beams, right. So isn't that the case? So you see, even when you turn it on the side, it's no good. Whoa, no. How come my asking, what are we talking about? You're going to Anak, like Michael said, Apuma Zimatalalasa, you put it flat, four tfachim, but you put it right by the door of the sukkah. The ayo plus lagav, afikhad labar. Three's in the sukkah and one's out of the sukkah. Like, you got the scenario? Yeah? It's very simple, right? You put it here. Here's your three walls of the sukkah. And you put the beam here, like this. Three tfachim are, cover, are in the sukkah. And one tefa is outside of the sukkah. Okay? And, now, this is going to try to defend the approach that you need four tfachim the normal way to be invalid. So if that's true, why is it invalid? It's only three of the four tefachim are in the sukkah. Why don't we call it a three tefach beam? So it says, um, It's like schach that goes out of the sukkah. And any schach that goes out of the sukkah, nidom kisukkah is like the sukkah. Meaning the normal halakha is, is that if this was kosher schach, and a little bit was extending beyond the opening of the sukkah, and you were sitting underneath this kosher schach, outside of the sukkah, but it extended off of the edge of the sukkah, right? And this was an open doorway, this third wall, that would be like you're in the sukkah. So the extension of the schach, which is the word now for kosher schach, the extension of the schach outside the sukkah makes things under the schach like it's in the sukkah. So if that's true to be kosher, it's also true to be pasal. And I can tell you a four tefach beam is only pasal when it's aligned in the four tefach way, and, and nevertheless, this is possible because it's an extension outside. It's like it's all inside, and you look at it as a four tefach, as a full four tefach beam. So that's how you could defend it. But the the the, the, con- the conclusion seems very clearly that even if you reorient it, it remains invalid. Once Chazal invalidated it, they treated it like this metal bar, meaning totally pasuschach, and it doesn't matter how you orient it. In terms, by the way, of how you of how you rule. Do we, what do we rule about this? Like Rav or Shmuel, what is the debate? So if you take a look at Tosvos, Tosvos says it seems from the upshot of this Gemara that we rule like Shmuel, interpretation of the debate. Even though normally by these types of things we normally go by Rav, he, he infers from the Gemara we go like Shmuel, and therefore even between three and four Tvachim would remain part of the debate. Okay, so we'll end with that. Yes, you had a question. Why is that called a shal? You mean Rabbi 